we probably should bring it back together and shift our focus. Hopefully those conversations are happy memories, you know, positive influences in our lives. Um, hopefully you could think of quite a few. Some are more fortunate in this category than others, have lots of really good older influences. Some didn't have that experience, didn't have a lot of great influences growing up. Maybe now at this point in life, as part of a church family, maybe that can expand. That's one of the beauties of church, intergenerational, bunch of people of all different walks of life and ages all in the same place. And um, we get to benefit from that. So even if you haven't had that before, um, I hope that you, you will and that you will think about the benefit of this. Um, our experiment subject for this week is obviously elders, seniors, those older than us. Um, our elders and I think from the church's perspective there's been some really important things that have been maybe lost over time that we could learn as a church how to be and I certainly think from a societal perspective uh, there's not a lot of really great things out there um, for um, valuing those who are older it's sort of a, a lost and a, a marginalized group in many ways and that's a shame because God loves age he loves maturity. He loves these things. And so uh, I think if we could experiment this week with making sure our own values line up more with God's than with America's, we'd be on the right track. If we could think about how our values align with the older people in our lives, we'd be on the right track. And if we could even go a little bit further and we might be able to influence someone else around us who doesn't see it that way, then we're actually being salt and light in the world. We're influencing a culture that doesn't see value in something that God's like, no, this is really super valuable. Uh, so maybe we have a place where we could speak or act in such a way that people would be like, hey, you know? And then God's truth, the gospel, the good news uh, for all ages could kind of be influential in our society. I'd like to ask anyone in this room who is over 60, I'm just picking that number, to stand up for a second. Where you are in your seats, stand up if you're over 60. You all hate this. I know all of you who are over 60. You are not gonna like this. I'm gonna hear about it later. I don't care. Can we just say thank you and God bless to these people? Come on, better than that. Come on. I'll receive all your texts and calls later on this week to complain and yell at me. That's fine. I'll take it. I do not care. That's fine. You want to throw something? There's tomatoes under your seats. Feel free. Whatever you need to do. Proverbs 16.31 says, Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Those gray hairs we all try to hide are a crown of glory in God's eyes. Earned every single one of those suckers through stress and experiences and time and perseverance and failures and life and kids and relationships and money. Every single one of those. A crown of glory. That's God's perspective. Job 12, 12 says, wisdom is with the aged, aged and understanding in length of days. So we're supposed to be celebrating age. But if I were to ask you just simply, do you think that our society in America celebrates age? What would you say? No. Like hardly at all, almost the opposite. Almost like 
I don't know, villainizes it. <laughs> Not just doesn't celebrate it like we're supposed to, like, wow, look at all your gray hairs. What a crown of glory. They're more like, well, you, you, you got a couple of wrinkles there on your face. You know, I've got some products that I use. Maybe you could hide those. And what do you use to cover your grays? And oh, you're not doing that skiing as much as you used to anymore. Why not? Like, I'm getting older. How often do we say that? Do you think God ever says that? I don't think once he said, man, getting older there, buddy. He knew you're getting older. He designed us to get older. And so he's more thinking, okay, at this season in life, what are you doing? And, and what do I have for you? And what's coming up? Not what have you lost? Too bad you're not 18 anymore. Too bad you can't run as far as you used to or as fast as you used to or remember as well as you used to. Those aren't God's values. He doesn't care if we have a great memory. He's got the great memory, right? So we bemoan losing things as we age, but those aren't the most important things. We're God's children, whether older, younger, anywhere in the middle, and God values age. Our society values youth. Um, I think we, we could be generationally, in like terms of age, countercultural, and I would love that for Christians, if the church felt a little different than the world. Maybe we catch ourselves the next time we're talking to each other and complaining about getting older. Maybe we just catch it, you know? Like, oh man, not as young. God values age, earning that crown of glory, you know, like catch it, because we'll feel it. But instead of feeling like there's loss with age, feeling like we're maturing, isn't that one of the biggest godly values, maturity? can only be gained with age. Some people kind of born with a little bit more to start off with, you know, an old soul, a child who has wisdom despite their age, but even they are going to have to earn it as they go and accumulate it as they go. Um, what are some other ways that God's view of aging is different than what we're growing up in, the culture around us? Does anything come to mind as we're kind of starting this conversation? Whether it's ads or opinions, things we complain about, <laughs> How is God's view different than what we're living in right now? Any other? God's values are knowledge of the word. Knowledge of the word. Yeah. Yeah. Truth. And that has to be learned, right? Over time. Great. What else is different? A five-year-old can't read the Bible through it a hundred times, but a yeah. three-year-old couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's an opportunity there. That's cool. Lindsay? Um, I think in the kingdom we're eternity-minded, whereas on mm. earth it's very much like here and now, and when you're young, like seizing all the opportunities in that certain time period where God's not really, like he says, this life is a big person. Right. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, Ian? I think God shows through examples like Moses and Noah that there's great purpose for folks who are later in life. Mm. Like just because you're age doesn't mean God's not going to call you like come up and lead or do something huge. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Michelle? I think that the world really values the exterior, whereas God yeah. really values the interior. Right. And so, all those things, like all of it fades, we're all going to get wrinkly and old. Mm -hmm. right? It's inevitable. Awesome. Right. Get lucky. Yeah, yeah get lucky. Mm, right. right. To, to embrace that and just be so grateful for it. To not care about it so much. Like, <coughs> I mm. want to love my wrinkles. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, what if we were proud of those things? Yeah. I think uh, the Lord represents freedom, whereas when we're trying to hold on to these things, we get sort of in a, um, uh. trapped in trying to preserve Yeah, there is a freedom to just say it's beautiful to age, and there's benefits and blessings in it as well, and don't have to fight it. And That's a losing battle anyway, so you just have to fight it. Yeah. Some, I saw another hand, but I didn't. Yeah, David. Think of um, the Old Testament, the Jewish culture, and how the, the protagonist, the main one, was the older people because they possessed the wisdom. So you can think of many examples. Um, but like, for example, Father Abraham was like, for any Jewish person, that was like, wow, he's the best of the best because mm. he was the oldest, you know, having his first kid at 90 years right. old. And so it was like, it's completely opposite of the way we look at it now. It's uh, the elder is something to look forward, something to admire and become yeah. that. So. Yeah. yeah, these are all great. I'm sure we can think of a million more, but I would like to read a scripture together. And um, let's go to Titus chapter 2. So this is New Testament, very end of the New Testament for Hebrews, and Titus will be right there alongside. Um, but... The four ways that stood out to me this week as I was thinking about this value of valuing our elders was that it really influences Christianity, how we think about this. The church is a large impact on how the church thinks about itself and how it acts, depending on what our opinions are, how highly we value elders. Uh, there's definitely a society impact. I want to look at that. Um, there's an identity impact. You know, either you feel good about yourself or bad about yourself increasingly as you age, depending on what you think about age. <laughs> Either this is great, life is going, let's see what's on ahead, or I'm losing and I'm older and what, look how much is behind. So there's an identity piece that's very important. And last week we talked about hospitality, kind of reaching out to others. And so I want to close with that when we get there. Like what is hospitality? Loving the stranger, loving the alienated, loving the outsider. I'd like to apply that to our elders. Because that's a place in life where sometimes depending on age, you've moved away from friends. Some friends or family might have died off. And there's increasing isolation, increasing alienation, increasing loneliness, particularly in this group of people that we will all be one day and which God values so highly. So I kind of want to get there. We'll talk about theology a little bit along the way and then get to what would it look like for us to increase our, I'm calling it elder value. So like if you had a very low elder value, it's like, well, the elderly really aren't that useful for society. Um, not much to offer. You know, if it's average, it's like, oh, yeah, I see some value and I'll be there one day. And it's kind of a positive, but a high elder value is like, man, we're going to honor those older than us. We are going to celebrate. We're going to look forward to. We are going to elevate. And so what would it look like if we raised our elder value from wherever it is? It feels like there's always room to grow in that. And um, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. <laughs> uh, trailblazers in faith, our own parents physically wouldn't even be here. So that, that's kind of where I want to take the conversation. And this first scripture is where we talk about elders in the church. And this is something I hinted at just a minute ago. I think we've done a disservice to the older generations in our church by calling the position of elder, elder. Because it kind of takes that elder thing and puts it in a box 
when it was originally intended to be a term just to be inclusive of anyone older in the congregation. We're about to read a passage that says, elders, you should do this. And anyone who's not an elder by title or position gets to just be like, well, that's not me. But what if it's every older person? The elders are meant to be this way. And oh, by the way, some of those older elders who live up to this standard and show us what faith is like, some of them are called to have a leadership position. Let's see it blatantly in scripture. We've boxed it in. We've taken all the expectations for our, the wisdom of our Christian elders and put it into position, which first of all lets us off the hook if we're not an actual titled elder. Do not let yourself off the hook. These are your standards. They're my standards. But secondly, we lose the benefit of everyone who doesn't have a title being a source of wisdom. Go to someone who's older, who's gained experience in the faith, who's experimented like we're experimenting now. The things you're learning right now in 2023, every week experimenting with hospitality, this is what you have to offer then, always and forever after. So in 20, 30, 50 years, someone says, what do you know about hospitality? You say, I remember, I kind of experimented with that. And it caused these changes. And with Sabbath, and I, this is what you're building that then you have to offer. And it's, it's a shame that um, we've put the category of elder and the title into a box. Um, before I read the passage that you've turned to, I want to read uh, 1 Timothy 5. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, do not rebuke one of the elder men but encourage him as you would a father. So anyone who's an older man, treat them all, so the word elder, but it's not talking about titles. It's talking about people. Any older man, treat them like fathers. So any of us younger, if you're 60 and there's someone who's 65, you're the younger, they're the elder. It's not a real age thing, it's comparative. But for any of us, do we treat the older men and the older women as our fathers and our mothers? That makes for good church family when we do. They feel blessed, we feel blessed, we connect. It's meant to operate that way. Uh, so yeah, he says, um, do not rebuke older men, but encourage them as you would a father. Uh, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Um, 1 Timothy 5.17 says, let the elders who lead, right? Not just all the elders, but there are certain elders who lead. Let the elders who lead well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So if there are elders who lead, then there are elders who aren't the leading elders. They're just the older members of the faith. This is something I think the Jewish culture, like David hinted at, really did well. There were the elders, the community. But I think over time, we've boxed it in. Do not. Do not. So let's read what the Bible says about the older men and older women in a congregation and recognize this isn't about church polity or about leadership or whether you're Presbyterian or Congregational or Baptist. This is biblical maturity, which we all should want. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, broad term, you, teach what accords with sound doctrines. Titus to all people. So here's the broad statement to all Christians. Elder men are to be sober-minded. You know, clear thinking, good thinking, dignified, self-controlled, sound in their faith and in their love and in their steadfastness. So not church elders, just older men. Elder women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and mutually submissive, submissive with their husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. 
These aren't standards for a position. It's not a job qualification here. It's not a job description. It's just a description of biblical maturity. And it's cool. And it's men and women. And you gain that by age. Now, just because we're older doesn't necessarily mean we're wiser. And just because you're older doesn't mean every decision is a wise one. But there is a lot more material to work with in finding wisdom just through accumulated experiences. So uh, an older voice should carry more weight than a younger voice, but it shouldn't squash the younger voices because sometimes there's a young Samuel, Old Testament example, a boy who people see God is speaking through. Or there's a Timothy, a New Testament example, or God's speaking through a young leader. And we want to raise up our children. I want children up here preaching the word of God. You might be five, but you can know that God loves you. And if you're willing to proclaim it, that's a sermon. That's a preacher. That's an example. So it's not minimizing. It's just recognizing, man, there's... There's something special about getting older, and this is one of them. So how do you think Christianity, we'll stop here before we move on and think about it bigger, but just for us Christians, our church or our faith, how could it be different if um, elder wasn't a church position, but it was just anyone that was older? How could that change things? How, how might it be different? For yourself, how, how might I feel different, or how might you think of people differently, or... Does anything come to mind? If it was a common term instead of a title? Maybe it's a problem that it's a title. Maybe that's getting in the way even. I don't know. There were both in the New Testament, leading elders and just the elders. Anything come to mind? David? I think that if that didn't exist, and we all understood that this is a standard for everybody, more opportunities will open for each person to feel the call to do something in the body. Mm. So if you feel like you have a message, you wouldn't be like, but I'm not a preacher and I'm not an elder. Exactly. It doesn't matter. Forget about that box. The Word of God is talking to you so you can talk to the body of Christ. So get up there. It doesn't matter. So we make it into all oh, those up there which are way higher than... No, that, I think, hopefully, that that wouldn't exist. But I think that's what we created with pastors, with elders. Right. Or the music team is like, whoa, no, 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 they are the ones that are called. It's like, nope, that's all of us. And I think it's yeah. clear in the Word of God. It's just these man-made things that we've created to establish order, mm -hmm. has taken control in our, in our culture, in our heads, and has stifled the opportunities we have to serve God and the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. That's true. Yeah, Tracy. I think eldership, too, can come in the form of wisdom. Someone has been on the road to sanctification longer. So it could be somebody, too, that's younger, that is elder material because of their, mm. you know, their imparted wisdom, their gifts, or whatever. Mm. So we can look for that, too, within our church. There's plenty of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been blessed by people younger than me who have wisdom, like, wow, no, I needed to hear that, or that was awesome. So maybe it's the equal sign. When our, our age equals more wisdom, that's where the value comes from, not just a higher number. <laughs> and then if that wisdom is there at a younger number, it's still, there's the value. Wisdom, yeah. Greg, did I see your hand up? I saw a hand over here, I thought, but maybe not. What are you thinking? Now that I'm looking at you, putting you on the spot. <laughs> what are you thinking? Uh, I, I agreed with what Tracy said, yeah. Yep. Got wisdom in young and old. 
And I think the box is the problem. Maybe that's it. Maybe just the box is the problem. Some have it, some don't. You have a title, so you have to have it. There's a lot of times where it doesn't matter if my title is pastor or teacher. I don't have wisdom in a situation. Like, I'm not sure. I don't know. And other times I feel like I do. <laughs> so the title doesn't give wisdom any more than non-title means you don't have it. All right. Let's talk about uh, so <coughs> excuse me, society a little bit. Um, turn to Psalm 115, verse 4, please. And I'll, I'll preface it a little bit as you're turning there. And um, then we'll read together. So our society, in my opinion... So this is American society and maybe even like our region. I really can only speak for how I've grown up. So this place that I live in and that we find ourselves in, it kind of exhibits all the qualities of a spoiled little child. Our society wants what it wants and it wants it now. It can't get along with anybody. It's got to fight and throw a tantrum when it doesn't get what it wants. Uh, it's impulsive. It is self-centered. It's um, focused on um, how do I look? How is this about me? Like that, that's, in my mind, my experience, that's American culture. The, the, those values, that sort of approach to life. Not a mature, measured, wise, diplomatic, balanced approach. Uh, people are valued more for the hot take that they can get. How opinionated can you be even if you're completely wrong? Because it's interesting to hear someone who's just like dogmatic, even if they have to retract it the next day. So how often are we just going to celebrate us for saying whatever we think, whether it's true or not, and standing up being the loudest or whatever, whether we're right or not, until we realize this is stupid. Like, why are we shouting dumb stuff as loudly as we can and having to take it back the next day? What if our society loved things like wisdom instead of opinion? I don't know if those two things are synonyms. I don't know if they're exact opposite, but think about that. Wisdom and opinion. I think this. Wisdom is like God's thoughts on reality, right? God thinks this, or this is what's true. So we can have lots of opinions and things that seem right, and then we learn over time which one's sorted out to be right or not. Um, our society values innovation over wisdom. Um, we had some of these ethical conversations recently about um, uh, DNA and genetic modification, and like where is a good line to stop, and, and where is it helping if you can eradicate disease, and where is it weird if you just want to have a kid who's six feet tall with blonde hair and blue eyes, and what genes are fine to modify and not? Like, you know, what, should we pursue genetic modification as a world and as a society because we can, or should we not because maybe it's wiser to just leave that box locked? How do you open the box halfway? Innovation. We're so excited that we can fly into outer space. Like, should we be spending any money on that? Is there, is there any value in that? Maybe there is. I don't know. But let's at least discuss whether our innovations have wisdom behind them or they're just sort of like the excited experimenting of scientists and technology people. Some stuff is not worth our time. And some stuff is worth all the time. So there's God's wisdom. So innovation is sort of a weird anti-wisdom in some ways, but you don't know until you're down the road which one was wrong, which one was right, and um, what if our scientists were guided by a pursuit for wisdom, not just more knowledge? You know, what if all of our, our scientists or technology-minded people were, were focused on what would further goodness in the world versus, well, we can do this. We could create a social media platform where anybody can say whatever they want all around the world at one time. Oh, this sounds fun. Let's try it. Like, what if there had been wisdom back then to be like, this sounds like a horrible idea. Let anybody say anything they want with no filters around the world? 
Like, I don't know, it's also awesome, but it's also like so, yeah, risky. Risky business. Let anybody say whatever they want, whenever they want, about whoever they want. Um, so, here's where I'm going with this, and this is why I have us in Psalm 115. The reason I think that our, our society is developing along these lines, one of the many reasons, is that we've not just come to celebrate new things and ideas and youth, we've come to idolize them. They've become idols. They've become very firmly entrenched gods that run our country. These are the things that people bow to and pray to and worship. This is what makes decisions. This is how people decide what's good and what's not. And the passage we're going to read is about how idols have this way of once you set them up, you just keep looking at them and more and more they shape who you become. Our idols shape us. So we idolize youth and therefore every advertisement is of a young beautiful person. And therefore we come to see ourselves in comparison to young beautiful people. See how idolatry works? We set it up as an idol and then it tells us whether we have any value or not. We compare ourselves to it. And so our country idolizes innovation and so then therefore innovation is the standard. What if our country idolized perseverance? Faithfulness. Wisdom. How would that change our economy if we're, we're exercising disciplines of steadfastness and wisdom and perseverance? Long game versus short-term fixes. It would change our economic pattern. How would it change dating and marriage? If we are concerned with long-term permanence and wisdom and steadiness and faithfulness versus many casual relationships along the way and marriages which sometimes don't last very long and what's the value here? I love you because you're young and beautiful or I love you because I get to spend an entire lifetime with you. What we set up as our idols then tells us whether we're worthy or not. It's a weird control thing. We create them and then they own us. And this is what Psalm 115 says about idolatry. Psalm 115 verse 4 says there, meaning the people around us, meaning not supposed to be God's people. It's supposed to be a they and us statement, but we fall into this, I fall into this. Let's remember that this is not God's way. There, idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. These idols have eyes, but they do not see. These idols have ears, but they do not hear. These idols have noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. Feet, but they do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. And those who make them become like them. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. I won't have you turn there, but in 2 Kings 17, it's, it talks about how the Israelites went after false gods. and says, they went after false idols, and they became false. They went after false idols and they became false. So these things that we celebrate, the people who are celebrated, our celebrities, they are defining what we think is good, what we think is important, and therefore then everybody is comparing themselves to them. Let's celebrate some wisdom. Let's celebrate some age. Let's celebrate experience. Let's celebrate steadfastness. Those are God's qualities, right? He has them far more than any of our oldest people will ever have. <laughs> Permanence and steadiness and security. Man, if those are the people that we look up to, then we'll be measuring ourselves by how have I been steady lately? How have I been faithful lately in all areas of life? 
where have I shown some wisdom lately? And we'd get satisfaction from that because our examples would be of people that exhibit those qualities. So this society thing, it's really sort of going to be stuck in a rut as long or as long as and until um, we realize that we've made idols of these things and until we smash those idols and set up Christ as our example, it's going to perpetuate. This is not a fixable thing until that root of idolatry is overturned. And so that's got to be a society. That's where the word revivals come in. You know, like at, by and large, when a large group of a country is like, we don't want this crappy way of living and this awful value structure. And they turn to God and they see something better. That's kind of what it takes to cast out countries' gods and replace them with Christ. The great example in 2 Corinthians 3 of setting Christ as our example and being transformed because we look at him, you know, we see him, we become like him. It says this, we all with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So the more we look at Jesus, the more we're going to be like him. The more we idolize and celebrate and elevate him, the more he's going to be like, well, that's the good thing. So how am I like that? And when we find ourselves falling short it's in comparison to Christ, so then we like strive for better things. And it has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with wrinkles. It has nothing to do with athleticism or innovation or new beginning. It's just an identity that we are Christ's and he is for us and he's the ultimate. So supremely elevate Christ and these other gods will start to pale in comparison. We'll start to see them in comparison to him and say, no, he he is who shapes us. So that's the second one and it takes us right into the third one. Let me introduce it and then we can share any thoughts you might be having before we, we get to the practical kind of hospitality part. Our, eld, our identity is shaped by our elder value in such significant ways. Um, when do we feel most successful? You can answer that any number of ways, but if you can think of something, it's because you think the thing that you did was good and had value and you were like worthwhile and you achieved something of significance. That's all about your values. What if you felt that way about aging? What if you felt that way about wisdom? Do we feel good about ourselves when we perform well financially or athletically or intellectually? Those are all good. God's created those. But what if we performed well morally despite huge adversity? Oh, that's, that's the good thing, right? That's the big thing. That's the wisdom. That's the right kind of aging. What if we felt successful when we performed uh, with integrity, even if it didn't end up good. What are the measurements? What are the values? Well, that's going to tell us when we feel good about ourselves. Are we getting better with age or are we losing things with age? Well, it depends on how you think about age and where you think you're going. And if the best days of your life are high school and partying with friends and everything after that is a look back at, oh man, the good old days, then you have American and worldly concept of aging and, and you're not quite yet catching gods, which is better. God values the wisdom of age over the energy of youth. So when you lose the energy of youth, who cares? Do less. Work less hard. Work with what you got. But there's something that's coming, that's being built, that's being added, that's accumulating, that's far better than the loss of the smoother skin and the stronger muscles and the faster speed and the better memory. 
We want to hang on to those things, and maybe we can do things to be healthy in such a way that they prolong. You know, there's also a way we can sort of not treat our bodies well, so we lose our health quicker, and we, we don't treat with respect. And then we're in old age, and we're suffering from a lifetime of not caring what we ever ate or smoked or drank or did. Like, that's not what I'm saying, but um, to not value that youth over God's perspective. Um, so I'd like you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for this section. This is the last scripture that we're going to turn to about identity. We get to choose in this moment of this conversation and in this thought pattern in our, in our, in our own lives, we get to choose if we're going to have like a trickle-down identity. People tell me what's good and what's not, what's fashionable and what's not, what's healthy and what's not, what's successful and what's not. Or we have a bottom-up theology. God is this way, therefore it's good. And God is this way, therefore it's good. And we build these strong, powerful, solid foundations that then we rise on. And you're going to think of yourself in one of those, either it gets trickled down, what's next, what's latest, am I keeping up, am I catching up, am I missing out, am I right? And then it changes all the time, so you have to like stay on that game. You know, what's new, what's latest, what's better, what's changing, or... What are the building blocks that I stand on? And if these things are God and they never change, they're always going to be good. So then, okay, I stand on things like forgiveness, stand on things like patience. How can I stand on that in the storm that I'm in or in the society that I'm in? It's a different perspective. So we actually, it's like a reverse sort of idolatry. <laughs> the more we know about God and truth, the more it shapes who we're supposed to be. And the more we fall into following after the idols, the more they tell us who we should be and they're all wrong. And he's right. So if we get deep into God, all of a sudden now we know what's good. You just start building some of that, and it will change. Because he hasn't changed. His Bible hasn't changed for thousands of years, never mind a God for all eternity. It's just timeless truth. And so then society can go up, can go down, things can go, you know, um, cultural events can happen, and tragedies, and success, and it's all secondary. Because you're building on something that doesn't change. So 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20 Paul says this to the church in Corinth, which is a very close parallel to modern America. I read through the Corinthian letters and you'll see a lot of wonderful parallels that we could learn from. But in 1 Corinthians 1.20, Paul writes, So where is the one in the world out there who's wise? Where is the scribe of today? Like today's best writers and thinkers, he's basically saying. Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the deep stuff that's good, for since in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews as a culture, he's saying, he's generalizing, they look for signs and the Greek culture looks for wisdom. But our gospel, what we preach, Christians, we preach that our Savior, Christ, got killed. Christ was crucified, and that makes no sense. It's a stumbling block to both the Jews who want a sign and to Gentiles who want wisdom, right? But to those who are called, to those of us who are like, this world is the worst. I don't want this. It's got nothing. And we respond to something deeper, respond to God's message. Those who are called, doesn't matter, Jews or Greeks, Christ is the power of God, and he's the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So we start with what God says, and we build up from there, and we let the world match or not match where it's going to match. But we know we're going to be standing at the end. 
House built on the rock, house built on the sand. We're gonna be standing at the end. Might be a little battered, a little worse for wear. That's life, that'll happen, but we're gonna be standing. And we're clinging to someone else telling us what's right, what's good, redefining anything in life. Well, that'll, they'll just change five minutes from now. We're gonna to have to change ourselves. That's so frustrating. God does not change. And so therefore identity has to be shaped in our theology, even though our society is being shaped by its idolatry. Any thoughts come to mind? You want to speak into that at all? Anybody have a scripture that it triggers? Anybody have a quote that it reminds them of? This difference between... Yeah. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing what you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Yeah. Oh, the Bible's so good. We should read that thing more often. No, really, you should read it more often. Tracy. <laughs> uh, I think even small details in our lives that we may not even see, just getting up and going to work or getting up coming to church, mm. being worried about what you're going to wear, how sure. you're going to appear to mm-hmm. the opposite sex, or, the, or even just mm-hmm. if you fit in a group, or a crowd, even those little, tiny, little mental things that, especially women do. We do. Mm-hmm. I've been guilty of it myself. But um, that is an idolatry that we didn't even realize. And just, mm. I don't know, I, just feel, I feel sad for women that are so engrossed in that. You know, again, thinner speaking. But it's such a mm. mild hypnosis almost. Of, <laughs> that right. You don't notice that how unimportant that is to God and to serving Him and to Christ and how much you're loved and how much your value is and to worry about those things, to worry about gaining weight, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Just we're so... It's so heavy. It's like this, just get the wet blankets off. Mm-hmm. You know, and just, oh, it makes me just sad to think about that's where society is. So it is it a freedom. Is, I forget who I think Sharon yeah. said that. Yeah, yeah it's so free. Freedom. Like Michelle yeah. Dude, I invented that, and thank you for doing that. <laughs> but I agree. Like, this is from laughing a lot, yeah. smiling, and crying. Yeah, and crying a lot, right. And growing. Right. So, God, if we just right. would lift each other up women-wise, um, mm. it's more heavily... Mm. With the woman thing, I, I can't speak to a man's thing, but... Yeah, I think it's both, and I think it's okay in a small dose. Like, to want to look nice is fine, but who defines nice? Right, in a small And, dose. oh, nice got redefined, so I better change, and I'm not as nice. Like, okay. pick a nice and settle on it. Like, this is my nice. It's good. Be okay with it. And, yeah, and then it's not that important, but I like, I like this nice. I'm going to stick at this nice. Yeah. Anything else? Thoughts? Yeah, Amy. Um, so... This whole sermon, I was thinking about something that we're focusing on in school right now. Interesting. Where um, the group of kids that I work with, it's we know as teachers it's really hard for them to find like-minded peers. And so what we've started to do is to pair our youngest students with our oldest students and like pretty much everything that we can. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do there is like show the kids, the younger kids, like this is what like a wiser version of you would look like and like trying to pair them based on like Mm. similarities between the two so like our eighth graders with our kindergartners and it's it's a really beautiful thing but what i think about is like the kids that i work with are like different kids right Mm. like they're not the norm and how their brain works and i think about that as far as like christians go and Mm. like from someone who grew up catholic and not 
really having a connection with Jesus mm -hmm. and the church and God and like coming to a place where like that was like like I was a baby Christian, right? I was a Christian mm. kindergartner and I was like looking <laughs> for my eighth graders to connect with and it's right. just like there's so much mm. that you can take there of like this is what a successful me could look like or a wise me could look like. This is what I'm going for. Mm. And it's like it was just like all around when you mm. come to a place like this and you see other like wise Christians. Yeah, that is the beauty of all the ages in one church family. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that's been your experience. You, you reminded me of another school thing I read this week and I can't remember, it was one of the Scandinavian countries. They moved all their nurseries and kindergartens into senior home centers. Mm -hmm. And so they interact with each other walking down the hall and the seniors that are there are like smiling, beaming, watching these little kids walk by. And then at break times, they'll have things they do together. So like in between classes or like snack time, or whatever, you can go in the common room and, and just be together and talk and share. And the article said something about like, it doesn't seem to matter to the kids any of the infirmities of the elders. Whereas for us, that feels like obstacles and stumbling blocks. They can't, the kids don't care. They play a game or they talk or they just run around and somehow that's beneficial both ways. Um, I think there is something in our country. We were like missing part of this and so we don't even think to experiment with things like that because we don't value it, so why would you? But maybe schools will start to gain a little more perspective on this. Jen, what were you going to say? So, yeah, even I read about a library which hires elders yeah. Instead of having books, to like people can come and talk to them instead. Oh, that's cool. And the next thing I also read about like that is a restaurant who hires grandparents, and that every day, and that's a new menu. So you get to talk to them also and like experience their love of food too. Yeah, it's just interesting to want to cater and revolve something around the seniors in the society. We don't really do that well. So maybe the Bible can help us be influential in our workplaces, in our families. We can set a different example. I think it would be really pleasing to God if we were different than the world in, in this way. Rose, do you want to add to that before we move on? Yeah, just a thought. Like, uh, most of my friends are like, by culture, so I know that they always point that out. Like, we respect you know, the elders. elders. We don't talk back. And maybe those of you who have grown up in a place other than Northeast in America can help us with that. Because there are many cultures in the world that really celebrate age. You know, the Japanese culture, the Chinese culture. There's other countries I was trying to look up, like, who does this well? And it listed some of these countries around the world where their whole culture is built around celebrating age. So if you've come from that, then recognize this isn't natural for us. It is whenever we're thinking as Christians, and it's not whenever we're thinking as Americans. So speak those things to influence your family, influence your neighbors, because we could use more of this. Pete, what were you going to say? I just finished watching this documentary called Territory. Mm -hmm. it's on the Disney Channel, it's uh, National Geographic, and essentially it's about the rainforest and it being cut down. Yeah. And um, this, this young man at age 18 was asked to lead his tribe um, hmm. in, in defense of what's going on. But his mother is quick to remind him that no matter what move he makes, he needs to go talk to the older people and give hmm. a blessing. Hmm. I, I, that was, that was pretty... Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 
That's cool. It's like a, a value and a check and balance and he was being trained that this is important. This is great, this is great. All right, so let's move to the last way that our elder value shapes us and it's in terms of hospitality. I just kind of thought it was fascinating to think about this topic on the heels of last week. Loving the stranger, loving the outsider. It feels like it fits so well in terms of the older people in our lives. I'm not gonna have you turn there, but would you read, or would you listen uh, to this uh, quote from 1 Timothy 5, 1? Uh, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The whole passage is this, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and on. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but... If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So children and grandchildren, make some return for all the thankless hours that you cost those parents and grandparents just by being born. And learn to show godliness to your own household. These are like big terms. This is not, you know, keeping it moderate. This is like an extreme statement from Paul to Timothy, who's a younger man, in what he's supposed to teach this congregation. So this is for us. To our elders, let us learn, let's experiment, with how to show godliness to our own households. And he goes on, he says, so she is who is truly a widow, left all alone, right, the outsider, She's set her hope on God, and she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she, another older woman, the opposite contrast, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So there's like a, an integrity piece to being older that he's talking about. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. And then the verse that I started with. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's 1 Timothy 5, 8. Doesn't sound so optional. <laughs> I don't want to deny my faith. Well, then I need to show that to my parents, to grandparents, to the older people in my life. And if I am like you, if you're like me, this is like a haphazard thing sometimes. We do well for a little while and then we forget for a little while. And we're good in some areas, but we're terrible in other areas. Let's all seek to raise our elder value up a notch. Just raise it up a notch because this is us showing our godliness. It's not just, oh, my mom needs something, my dad needs something, grandma needs something, my uncle needs something. Can I show my godliness and repay some of what I've received from them just by being alive, but never mind all the things they've done for me in my life? I don't want to deny the faith. I don't want to be worse than an unbeliever. Well, our elder value is going to determine some part of that. And I encourage us to be thinking this week about how we can experiment with that. Uh, so... Maybe turn to your groups of five now as we kind of pull things together. Think about some practical ways that you could raise your elder value this week. A practical something. Some, an elder person in your life that God's putting on your heart right now. Be like, you know what? I thought of this person. I haven't seen them in a while. I thought of this person. I told them I would come and visit and I haven't. Or this person. I meant to write a card. These are the moments where we can remind each other. And instead of feeling guilty, we just say, let's grow. 
Let's just step up our standard. Let's not say, oh, there's someone who's in the hospital. The pastor and the elders will get to that. We're the elders. We're the pastors. We're the family. Right? Let's not just say, oh, later. No, no, this week. This week. Because there's so many other areas in life we need to grow in. Let's not just put this off and hope we get to it someday. Let's put honor where honor belongs and find some ways that we can practically do something about it this week. So turn to your groups of five, and then in just a minute or two, the music team, you can come up and lead us in, in communion.